Welcome to the show. On today's podcast, we have Dr. Stephen Cabral. He's a board-certified doctor of naturopathy and author of the international best-selling book, The Rain Barrel Effect. He developed his passion for health and wellness after going through his own severe health issues at 17. This was when he met an alternative health doctor and began his recovery. In today's episode, we discuss your body's toxic load, what the rain barrel effect really means, detoxing and weight loss, plus so much more. Welcome to the Kat Katibi Podcast, your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Welcome to the show. On today's podcast, we have Dr. Stephen Cabral. He's a board-certified doctor of naturopathy and author of the international best-selling book, The Rain Barrel Effect. He developed his passion for health and wellness after going through his own severe health issues at 17. This was when he met an alternative health doctor and began his recovery. In today's episode, we discuss your body's toxic load, what the rain barrel effect really means, detoxing, and weight loss. Please enjoy this episode. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. Before we begin, tell us a little bit about you, your philosophy on health, and why you specifically went into naturopathy. Sure. So I'm Stephen Cabral. I'm a board-certified doctor of naturopathy, and I got into this, I think like a lot of people in the natural health field, because I couldn't find my own answers. So when I was 17, I got extremely sick. I went to over two dozen different specialists. I basically got shuffled around from doctor to doctor because I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I was later diagnosed with Addison's disease, which is the inability to produce cortisol, myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is basically like flu-like symptoms. You're like a walking zombie all day long, brain fog, fatigue, chronic fatigue. Now, I had rheumatoid arthritis, an autoimmune issue, even at a very young age. I also had type two diabetes and some other smaller things like allergies, asthma. So my body was shutting down and they couldn't figure why, figure out why all of these things were happening. Uh, in conventional medicine, they don't really talk about how the body is interrelated from system to system. They talk about one piece at a time. So I had stomach and digestive issues. So I would go to a gastroenterologist. I had um, Addison's disease. So I would go to an endocrinologist, but they never understood how everything was connected. So I eventually met a lot of great practitioners that helped me along the way. I met my mentor who studied Ayurvedic medicine, naturopathy, and, and I simply followed in her footsteps, essentially through her motivation, her advice. And that's how I got into this field. Yeah, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast can totally relate to having a health issue, going to multiple doctors, never finding out what the real cause is, and maybe 10 years or so go by without finding out an answer. Exactly. That's how long it took me, and it shouldn't take that long. So my mission now, I was sick from 17 years old to 27. I was getting better by 23 but I would relapse every three, four months. And it, so it was very frustrating as well because I'd be like, oh, there's hope, I'm getting better. And then I would relapse again. And I never knew why. And then eventually I put all the pieces together with the help of, again, my mentor, and I was able to figure it out. And so now I share with people, again, so I don't 
Uh, I'm completely disease free. It's been now 25 years. I have more energy than I ever have, which is strange to say for someone with Addison's disease. I do all sorts of different things now. I've got two young girls, I have plenty of energy and completely symptom and disease free. So just I share that with people because if I was able to do it, as sick as I was, where none of the other conventional medicine doctors gave me any hope, really anyone can. And it shouldn't take anybody more than four to six months in order to rebalance that body, three to six months. But a lot of people on this show, if they have a lot of autoimmune issues or hormonal imbalances, it just takes about 90 to 120 days for the body to return to a new set of cells in the body. And when you look at that, you say, okay, so if you have insulin resistance today, a lot of people won't share this with you, but you can't repair it tomorrow. You can certainly lower your blood sugar levels through fasting and other modalities, but you don't change the cell dynamics for about three to four months. And so that's okay. And so you just know that healing is a process. The nice thing is if you stay on the path, you will get well. So let's talk about toxins first. What are some hidden toxins around us that might be making us sick? So one of the biggest things that I learned with my research and my studies is that the way that the body heals is essentially a two-part process. So the body's not well right now because there are some sort of deficiencies. So it could be deficiencies in good bacteria in the gut. It could be deficiencies with B vitamins, vitamin C, magnesium, vitamin D. Our body has deficiencies because it gets worn down over time. Or let's say you live in Boston, Massachusetts, like I do, and there's no sun that would actually give you a tan or vitamin D for eight months of the year. Okay, so you, you have to get vitamin D somehow. So if not, you're deficient in it. And that helps your immune system is, and hundreds of different other practices in the body. But then there's also the other half of the equation besides deficiencies, and that's toxicities. And I learned a lot about this while researching for my book as well. So these toxicities are even three years ago when I wrote it, it was 77,000 man-made chemicals in the environment. Now it's over 140,000 just three years later. And this is independent research by the Environmental Working Group, World Health Organization, et cetera. And there's much more in the US than there is in Europe as well. In Europe, they only allow about one-tenth of what they allow here in the US. What I found though, was two interesting points. One is that the average woman leaves the house being exposed to 126 different carcinogens, so toxins. And you might say, well, that's an enormous amount. I don't use 126 different things and, and you don't. And what happens is that there's three or four in your shampoo, three or four in your conditioner, three or four in your toothpaste, there's in the uh, laundry detergent, there's all these different things. And so when these things touch our skin, our skin is porous and we begin to absorb them right into our bloodstream. And the other interesting research I found was a study called the 10 Americans. And this was actually done only on testing 400 toxins. That's it. And the average they found in these 10 Americans was 232 toxins out of that 400. Now, the interesting part was this. Those 10 Americans weren't even born yet. This was actually from the fetal cord blood in the mother which means that we start life already getting heavy metals and triclosan and flame returns, all these things uh, from our mom. Again, not their fault, the environment's fault. Our job is to begin to detoxify these and get them out of our body as quickly as possible. What do all these hidden toxins have to do with the rain barrel effect? So the rain barrel effect was the research in the book that I wrote a few years back. It's same information, same pertinence today, but... What happens is over time, 
we have this thing I just referred to as a rain barrel. And a rain barrel in the real world actually catches water that runs off the house, typically from your gutters. And it does that so the water doesn't splatter all over your patio or your lawn and destroy your lawn or your patio, et cetera. But over time, that rain barrel begins to fill up. And then if you're not checking on it, it overflows. And it still destroys your lawn or your patio, whatever it might be. The human body gets exposed to a certain number of chemicals or stress or EMFs or heavy metals, or deficiencies, or whatever, every single day. Now, if we allow those to continue to go up, it, just like me at 17 years old, sometimes your rain barrel overflows when you're younger. Most people, it's not until they're maybe mid-30s or 40s when the rain barrel overflows, and now they have symptoms of brain fog and fatigue and low libido and low mood and irritability, skin rashes, thinning hair, etc. So those are the symptoms of the rain barrel already overflowing. And some of us get diagnosed, of course, with diseases. So the, the way to stop all of that is to not let the rain barrel overflow. And then if it already has overflowed, which a lot of people with the symptoms, well, you need to begin to empty that rain barrel through removing a lot of the items that I just named. So the book basically goes through how you got here. And the second half is how to get well again through what I call the de-stress protocol. And what are some ways that the body gets rid of these toxins? So there are four main ways. The least effective way is through breathing, because some of these things can be huffed out through the lungs. The next way is through the skin. That can be a really effective way to get rid of anything from heavy metals to mold. And But that only happens when we're sweating. So one of the things that I found, especially being in practice for quite some time, is that most people don't sweat. They don't even sweat once a week. So if you're never sweating, you're not taking advantage of the largest organ on your body, which believe it or not, is your skin. So that means then the only two ways left are through the kidneys, which is urine. So now you need to make sure you're hydrated enough. And most men and women aren't drinking about half their body weight in ounces of water per day, which for most people is somewhere between eight and 12 uh, cups of water, herbal tea counts, smoothies count, th those types of things count, but they're not getting that. And then the most effective way is through the liver. And the liver has what's called a phase one, phase two detox pathway that breaks down all these fat soluble chemicals and toxins in our body, turns them into water soluble toxins. And then it comes out essentially through the bile into your intestines. And so that will work, which is great. You just have to make sure that you're not constipated, that you're having at least one to two bowel movements per day to get rid of all of these toxins as well. And then of course, your liver is always working, your kidneys are always working, or you wouldn't be here. But we, again, with running lab tests, there were some famous studies on this, that no matter who you are, you're harboring some level of toxicity and they get trapped in your fat cells and in your brain because toxins get stored away in your adipose tissue because it's much safer to store them away there than keep them in your bloodstream. So it's often said that your hair, because you can do a hair test, or in your fat, it's 200 to 300 times more toxic than your blood, which is a good thing. You got to get rid of those somehow. Ideally, they get out of your body, but this poses another issue for people on losing weight. If you're losing weight, you're breaking down adipose tissue. But along with all of those stored calories also comes out the toxins, which is why you really want to be doing something like a functional medicine detox while you're doing a weight loss based plan to speed up the removal of these. Yeah, I was about to mention that because I know whenever I try to lose a little bit of weight, all my symptoms get so much worse. <laughs> 
that's called a Herxheimer reaction. Yes. So that's very well studied. Yeah. And that's usually in conventional medicine, it happens when you take antibiotics. And the reason is that you're killing bacteria and all of that is now dead. It's all this die off. It has to be removed from your body. And that takes work from the body. So the Herxheimer reaction is actually your body working to remove these things from your body. So it's just a lot gentler if you're losing weight while giving your liver a little boost. A lot of my audience, they have female hormonal imbalances and their livers are already struggling with maybe excess hormones, estrogen dominance, things like that. So what are some ways that especially these women can help with their liver detox function? And you're right, because the way that the body gets rid of and metabolizes estrogen is really through the liver. So that's a big part of this equation because what can happen, well, there's two ways that this can happen. So one, you're not breaking down and metabolizing estrogen enough. The estrogen esters that are left are essentially more, much more toxic to a woman's body than estradiol, estriol, et cetera. So that's an issue. And the second is that many women that we work with are also constipated or they're not having one to two bowel movements per day. So what happens is the estrogen is actually being excreted, part of it at least, through the intestinal tract. So that can be reabsorbed back into the bloodstream. And now you have this kind of weaker, more toxic form of estrogen in the body that actually does show up in labs. We can see that. And that's a problem. So the, the best thing that we can do on a daily basis, because you're not doing a functional medicine detox every day of your life. So on a daily basis, you want to stay hydrated. And you also want to add in at least a couple cups of cruciferous vegetables every day. And that would be like broccoli or cauliflower, or and you can put seasoning on them to make them taste great. Add a little olive oil afterwards, some sea salt, whatever you like. Uh, Brussels sprouts. These are all, bok choy is another favorite, great cruciferous vegetables that have sulfur in them. And the sulfur allows for that phase two detox, which is actually what's missing in most men and women, that sulfur-based amino acids, because we're not getting them. Like we're not eating enough garlic and onions and these types of things. And a lot of times we're not, women aren't, because they get bloated from them. And so if you get bloated from them, it's not the vegetables fault. I always tell people it's a digestive issue. So usually there's some candida overgrowth in the gut or there's SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. They go hand in hand with stress or previous antibiotic use or birth control. So we see it quite often that usually needs to be cleared up as well. And then a functional medicine detox is simply taking seven, 14 or 21 days and giving your liver the nutrients it needs in order to complete the process. And the nice thing is through science now, I started using this in my practice about a decade ago, and I only used it with the worst of the worst, like autoimmune issues, rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's, et cetera. And it worked so well, and there were so many fringe benefits from just doing this one thing that I said, okay, other people might not have all these autoimmune issues, but they can definitely benefit. And so one of the nice things was a dramatic, well, I can't say a reduction in inflammation, so I won't say that. What I'll say is there's a healthy balancing of hormones, blood sugar, inflammation, because you're also using intermittent fasting at the same time. You're giving your digestive system a bit of a rest, and then you're using the nutrients that your liver needs, like N-acetylcysteine, glutathione, et cetera, to get these things out of your body. So I always tell people, you don't need to know how it works, except that it does work. And remember, whether you are a naturopath, acupuncturist, chiropractor, medical doctor, whatever, you are not healing the person's body, right? We are just simply putting your body in position to heal. And your body needs the right nutrients, the right rest, and it needs to be given, uh, it needs to get rid of those toxins. So that's what we're doing. We're trying to put your body in position to heal. And how do people ultimately get well and lose weight 
live longer, especially women who have had these hormonal problems. So you always have to address the root cause. So, and there's a root cause for everything. So uh, one, of the, one of the worst parts about being sick for 10 years is that you're sick for 10 years. One of the best parts of being sick for 10 years, if you're very stubborn like I am, is that, and you have that pitta mindset from Ayurveda, is that I read thousands of books and I read thousands of research studies and I tried hundreds of things. And so I got to personally see and read and learn from all these great people that many of which I've never met, all the different things that they were doing. And essentially, when you've looked at this many different things, and I also did my internships overseas. So I did my internships in clinics in China and Sri Lanka and India and in Europe. And then, of course, in the U.S., I looked for what are the most successful clinics and practitioners doing. And they are saying the symptoms are actually teaching us that we're imbalanced. We're not going to mask the symptoms with drugs. We are going to address the root cause. And as the symptoms lessen, we know that we are addressing the root cause and this person is getting well. And now they are well permanently. So let's say it's a hormonal issue. Let's say that a woman has PCOS. Okay. So if we're looking at PCOS, we're looking at an imbalanced thyroid, imbalanced cortisol levels, imbalanced testosterone levels, estrogen dominance, and blood sugar dysregularity. There are a couple others in there as well, but we have to say, okay, we can run one test and we can look at all of those things at once. It's called the stress mood and metabolism test. So you can do it right at home. So great. We can look at all those things. Now, if it's a thyroid imbalance, the TSH is, let's say, 3.5, even though conventional medicine says 0.5 to 5 is okay. We know that once it gets above a 2, thyroid's not functioning uh, properly. Okay. But we see the thyroid's imbalanced, but this person has low cortisol in the morning. So they take their brain fog. It takes them a while to get going, but then they can't fall asleep at night or they don't get good quality of sleep at night because their cortisol is high at night. We could fix the thyroid, which will help to boost if they need something to boost that. But really, the issue here is with cortisol, because if cortisol and stress are high, it starts to slow the thyroid. So yes, we could work on the thyroid, but the real underlying root cause here is stress from life or work or relationships or GI issues or pain, or there's a stress in the body. We need to address that, not just through supplements, but lifestyle wise. Work on that, which is the HPA axis, how the brain tells the adrenals what to do. And then that's also going to help if there's estrogen dominance or there's high levels of testosterone. And then, of course, we have to address the blood sugar issues if there's blood sugar issues. So what you're always trying to do is say, if you don't need to work on everything, don't work on everything. Just work on the items that have the greatest domino effect and continue to work the plan. I love what you said about don't just cover up the symptoms because to me, that's the most insane thing that you get when you go to a doctor. It's okay, you have a migraine here, take this pill. I'm like, no, why do I have the migraine? That doesn't matter. We don't need to know. Just take this pill. And I'm like, then I'm going to be getting worse. If What if it's serious? We need to know the cause of things. And that's my big fight with conventional medicine is they just want to cover up the symptom and pretend like it's not there. 100% and you're right. It's it's just there's an issue. And so let's say you mask the symptoms and you, you take uh, specific medications so that you don't get a migraine. So what happens is 
that inflammation, which is not a root cause, it's just that's a symptom and the inflammation may go towards the cervical part of the head and, and you get a migraine. Okay, it's just going to go somewhere else. So now the inflammation ends up in your arteries and you end up with higher levels of cholesterol, higher levels of blood pressure, whatever it might be. So that is why we don't want anybody to have a, a migraine either. So what we might do is start to work on the underlying root causes while do things, maybe they're deficient in magnesium, right? That's a big one for, or maybe they're sensitive to histamines. So if they are, we'll lower histamine-based foods. We'll give them some uh, a little bit more magnesium. And if they ever do get a migraine, okay, here's the things they can do. They can do essentially hot packs on the feet, cold packs in the eyes, in the back of the head, dark room, help to move the blood you know, out. There's a lot that you can do, but at the same time, it's, it's looking, is it food sensitivities? Is it hormonal? Does it only happen during the luteal phase? There are just questions that integrative health practitioners can ask that will then figure out what that underlying root cause is. Okay. That's interesting that you mentioned that because I've been talking to a lot of people with hormonal imbalances and they've been saying that right before their period, they'll become like histamine intolerant. Is that something that's common? Not common, but anything is possible. And we've certainly seen that before. So the digestive system can actually change for the worst that we've seen during the luteal base phase. So let's say five, seven days or so, like somewhere from days 19 to 28 of a woman's cycle. So when we see that, we say, okay, why? One, it's typical, typically estrogen dominance and inflammation. And then inflammation and estrogen dominance is creating more stress. The stress is putting them more in the sympathetic nervous system. That might be part of the release of histamines, but also there's less blood flow to the gut and the digestive system. So we're ending up with more bloating, more gas, more fermentation there. So what we're trying to do then is just say, okay, why the estrogen dominance? And for nine out of 10 women, I've run over 10,000 hormone labs. We've worked with over a quarter of a million people, 80% of our practice is women, is that it's not high levels of estrogen, which always shocks people. It is low levels of progesterone. So the majority of women right now who have estrogen dominance is real. Like you have estrogen dominance. But if you lab test, you actually see like 1.2, 1.3 for a number on your um, at-home lab test, which is normal up to 1.5 during the luteal phase. However, your progesterone is supposed to be like 150, 200. And we see women with 27 for progesterone, 40 for progesterone. So you have all the symptoms of high estrogen because the ratio is off. So when the ratio is off, yes, it looks like to your body that there's high levels of estrogen. So you get the oily skin, the acne, the bloating, the irritability, the low mood, the water retention, and not all women get all of those symptoms. They get whatever is their genetics. So genetics do matter, but really the body has to be in the proper environment for those genetics to express themselves. So we say, why the estrogen dominance? And because remember, like estrogen dominance can be um, helped. So the first thing that we do, just symptom-wise, is we use a product called Estrogen Balance. It contains I3C. Those are from cruciferous vegetables. That's helpful, but remember, that's not fixing the underlying root cause. So we want to then get to the underlying root cause. We say, okay, and we can also do herbal-based progesterone, which is not meant to give a woman hormones, which I don't agree with in 99% of cases, but we want to say, okay, why the low progesterone? And it can be from sleep issues, stress issues, gut issues, any inflammatory viral-based issues. So that's how we address that. So what are some maybe foods that we should be consuming daily to help with detox and just overall health? 
In an ideal world, there's a lot of wild diets out there right now. And we have to understand that every three to five years, we go through a new cycle. So I started my, my career at 18 years old as a nutritionist, certified nutritionist and certified personal trainer, later strength and conditioning specialist. This was in the late 90s. And the Atkins diet and South Beach diet were very popular then. Those were essentially the keto diets of what we have now, bacon, eggs, meat, et cetera. Now, I'm not saying everyone's doing a keto diet like that, but a lot of people are doing a keto diet. I talk a lot about this on my, my podcast. They're not actually in ketosis because they're eating way too much protein on their diet to be on a keto-based diet. So they're on a very dangerous diet is what they're on. But regardless, the longest lived people, the healthiest people in the world have a predominantly plant-based diet. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to be vegan. doesn't need to mean that you need to be vegetarian. It just shows that if we look, if we're unbiased and we look at the science for the longest lived people in the world and healthiest people in the world, they're eating seven to nine servings of fruits and vegetables every day. And if you're not able to eat a lot of fruit right now because you are insulin um, insensitive, so your cells are not sensitive to insulin's response, then you might do one cup of berries a day. That's it. And the rest of it might be vegetables. And it's easier than you think. You can get a couple of berries for breakfast with your smoothie or whatever you're doing. You can do three cups of vegetables at lunch and three cups at dinner. And it's also very satiating. There's a lot of fiber. Again, if that causes bloating, start with one cup. That's it. And cook them. So cook it, make it easier, break down the cellulose. And that's a great way. And then you can work your way up. And if you find, again, that there's a lot of bloating, I definitely recommend running something like a bacterium parasite stool test or candida metabolic vitamins test to see if there's yeast overgrowth because you might have uncovered something again. So don't just go low carb, low vegetables, low fruit because you have bloating because now your body's telling you, hey, here's another symptom. It's like migraines. Don't ignore this. Figure out what it is because you can fix that in 12 weeks. So and then after that, again, choose your favorite protein. Most women and men need about 0.8 grams uh, per pound of body weight. Simply put, they need about half their weight in protein per day. I'm not an overly big protein person because a lot of studies show over 19 to 20% of your calories, if it's from protein, leads to higher levels of IGF-1, which leads to higher levels of cancer. So I just want to throw that out there. So I'm not a big protein person, but also women especially start to lose a half a pound of muscle per year after the age of 27. So important for bone loss, important for muscle loss, important for metabolism that we keep our protein up. And then the last part is healthy fats and the healthiest fats in the world. There's disputes about saturated fats. There's disputes about polyunsaturated fats, but there's no disputes about monounsaturated fats. So when in doubt, I like to play it safe. Olives, olive oil, avocados, uh, macadamia nuts, things like that are great, mon a great uh, monounsaturated fats. When you talk about Ayurveda, how can the the diet rules from Ayurveda help us with our health. This then goes back to body types in Ayurveda. They call it the doshas. And there's essentially the vata. And in, in our science, right, Western-based science, that would be called the ectomorph. And that's the person with really thin wrists, really thin calves, really thin ankles, uh, longer face. They can eat carbs and they never gain weight. That's essentially the vata. Then on the other side of the spectrum, we have the kapha or the endomorph. And these particular people are more carbohydrate sensitive. They gain weight easier when they eat more carbohydrates as they start to get a little bit older. Everybody does as they start to get older because we, we typically 
um, have less muscle mass and we typically move our bodies less. So that's part of the equation. But the kapha body type, they're most likely not going to be able to eat the same level of starches that the vata body type would. So they're not going to be able to have as many sweet potatoes or rice or oatmeal, et cetera. They're going to do better with more vegetables in their diet in terms of maintaining a healthy weight, where the vata actually needs those carbs and starches to have a little bit more energy because their body is typically more sympathetic nervous system dominant. So I don't want to get too in the weeds, but there's a reason for this. And the kapha body type, typically more robust, stronger body type. They actually do have better immunity. They typically have great, thick, wavy hair. They've got good skin. They've got good longevity if they keep their body balanced. Remember, it's always about balance. So because they're more prone to high blood pressure, high cholesterol, type two diabetes. So we just need to make sure that they're maintaining that healthy body weight. That's why, again, for me, it's never about saying there's one best body type, but I also don't like the, the, the message we're giving right now. We're saying it's okay to be 50, hundred pounds overweight, because if we care about people and we care about their health, it's not about vanity. It's not about looks. It's about this person's going to then spend their fifties, sixties, and maybe they'll get to the 70s, but probably not living a life of being medicated and having difficulty moving around and constantly being in pain. So I like to help people get healthy in all aspects. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that because there is no one best body type. And then the middle body type is called the pizza or the mesomorph. They're typically able to put on a little bit more muscle. They're typically athletic and they actually do better with a little bit more protein because their body is very anabolic. Their body's very active. They typically are more active. So they're the people who oftentimes enjoy doing more CrossFit and other activities like that. What about sleep? How can poor sleep patterns affect our mental health, our well-being, and even our weight? 100%. So one of the best research studies I've seen is actually those people that get less than six to seven quality hours of sleep a night. That means if you're waking up throughout the night, that's obviously not quality sleep. They have a higher fasting glucose levels when they wake up. So your levels of glucose when you wake up, you can test this with a simple at-home glucometer, or you can use a continuous glucose monitor. So their glucose might be 95, 100, 110 overnight. And when they wake up in the morning, that means that they are not properly tapping into body fat overnight as a fuel source because the greatest percent fat burned during the day, believe it or not, is overnight. So from eight o'clock at night when you're relaxed to maybe seven in the morning uh, or so when you're getting ready or waking up, whatever it might be, for those 11 hours, you should be tapping into body fat. I'm a big believer for 99% of the people because remember, there's always 1% that there's a contraindication, but should be doing a 12-hour or more intermittent fast. And that allows you to clean up the body from autophagy. It allows you to lower blood sugar levels, ease digestion, and uh, burn body fat as well. So you want to make sure if you're tracking your sleep, if you're using an aura ring or some other device, you want to shoot for 90 minutes of deep sleep and two hours of REM sleep. And most humans need seven to nine hours of sleep per night. I have a podcast as well that goes through who needs what, and it really depends on body type and activity level and stress, depending on how much sleep that you need. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, I would sleep sometimes nine, 10 hours a night. I was real thin. I would easily get muscle, very active without even having to try. And sometimes I wonder, maybe it's because I was sleeping so well. <laughs> That's a big part of it. hundred percent. And the, when you're sleeping, you're in an anabolic state. So it's, that's why babies sleep 
what, 22 out of us out of the 24. But even when kids get to be eight years old, they still need 10, 11 hours of sleep or so. So when you look at that, why? Because they're growing, right? Their body's in a state of anabolism and repair. And then when you're sleeping less, you're more catabolic, which means that there's going to be more uptime, more sympathetic nervous system time, less repair time. So if you are ever sick, uh, let's say you get a virus, whatever it might be, you actually should sleep. You should give your body time to rest and heal and repair. I 100% believe that. I would do that just instinctively. I remember whenever I would get a cold, I would just take the next day off, sleep for the entire day. I would say, I'm not getting out of bed until I'm better. And it would only last a day. And that's because so, you're getting ahead of it, 100%, right? Yeah. I want to talk about intermittent fasting a little bit more, especially when it comes to women and stress. So let's say they have maybe adrenal fatigue or they're just very high stress, high strung. Because I've heard both things, that fasting is okay, intermittent fasting is okay, even if you're super stressed. And then I've heard it's the worst thing you can do if you're super stressed. So what do you think? Well, so the, the big thing about... So if you're an integrative health practitioner and if you've studied Ayurveda and you you do at-home lab tests, you know that there is no one thing for everyone. So there's something called bioindividuality. So you, there's a spectrum, right? So it's like the proper time for intermittent fasting seems to be between 12 to 16 hours a day. So some people should be more 12 hours. So that means, so let's give some foundation. So I always say there's bioindividuality, but there's also foundational protocols for all humans. So we're all humans. So we do need to follow specific instructions. So there's a lot of people say that they're night owls and no, their cortisol is up at night. They're meant to stay up till midnight. That's completely false. There's only one diurnal rhythm for humans and a natural diurnal rhythm drops your cortisol by 9.30 p.m. at night, it gradually declines after 8 a.m., 10 a.m. in the morning, just naturally declines the whole day. You're supposed to be in bed by 10 p.m. Now I know people work night jobs and all these, so I get it. It's just not the ideal. That's all. You just do the best that you can. But so if that, if you're going to bed by 10 p.m. at the latest, you want to stop eating three to four hours before bed. So if you want to improve your HRV, if you want to improve your deep sleep, you can't have food in your stomach as you're going to bed. It's just, it's not going to be conducive. We've run, again, thousands of these to see. And, and this is known through the industry and research. So that means you want to stop dinner, ideally around six. Now I know, again, like when I was younger, I didn't have kids. I probably wouldn't eat until eight o'clock at night. But certainly my sleep suffered. I didn't track my sleep back then, but it would have suffered. So ideal world, stop eating three to four hours before bed. And then be in bed about eight hours. So you're already at 12 hours, right? So that's how I look at it. Six to eight in the morning. If you have a normal job where you go to work, you leave at eight o'clock in the morning, take a smoothie with you on the road, something like that. It's, an e it's easy for most people to do around 14 hours. Now, when the stress of the day starts, this is what we've seen affect women far more than men. I have not seen great results with women fasting until lunch. I've actually seen great results for the first three to four weeks and then very detrimental results after that. Meaning that they are putting their body in a higher state of stress in the morning. Because remember, fasting is a stressor in the body. It's a hermetic stressor that could go both ways, helpful or hurtful. But if you're asking your body for fuel and you're only putting it in coffee or nothing and your glucose levels drop or your cortisol levels rise, your body's going to break down liver glycogen either way. 
So your body's going to put carbs by itself from your liver right in your bloodstream. So I just like people to know themselves. Are they starting their morning slowly? Are they drinking coffee on an empty stomach, which is a nervous system stressor? So I just think that what I've seen in my practice, if you're just looking for general rules, 12 to 14 hours seems to work best for women. Sometimes you get away with a little longer. We do 16 hours for some people, but it stops at 10 a.m. And then you can still get three meals per day to get in your seven to nine cups of good fruits uh, and veggies. Uh, and that does seem to work well. Now, having said all that's on a daily basis, when you're doing, there is a time and place for a longer 24 hour intermittent fast or even longer, but you're not doing that every day. Cause if you do it every day, you're probably going to see your thyroid levels drop. You're probably going to see your body stop slower metabolism. You'll be able to eat less calories. You'll have poor circulation, cold hands and feet. Your body's going to be more of a stress state. How often should someone do a longer fast? And what exactly constitutes a longer fast? Does it have to be 24 hours, 36 hours? It's a good question. So what we have seen work best for the majority of people in the practice is daily 12 to 14 hour fasting. So an intermittent fast is anything over 12 hours. And again, that's pretty easy to complete. Stop eating at even seven at night. Don't eat again until seven in the morning. So that's an easy 12 hours of eating during the day, 12 hours of not eating. And that's works great for most people. The only people that it doesn't work great for are people with hypoglycemia, adrenal-based issues, where they get blood sugar drops throughout the night. They might need a little snack of protein and some fat and fiber before bed. And that, that's it. But everybody else, and then you help those people, and then they can go back to intermittent fasting. Because again, humans before electricity weren't eating, and that's just not how humans would have lived. They would have hit away because they weren't the apex predator. And then they would wake up with the sun. So that, I mean, that was very normal. And you could reset anyone's sleep rhythm by them literally camping in the woods for three weeks. You would go to bed a couple hours after the sunset and you would wake up with the sun. That, that would reset any night owl's uh, diurnal rhythm. So if a person's healthy, then we oftentimes recommend a once a week, 24 hour fast, but it's not as difficult as you think, because what you do, like for what I do is I have dinner with my family Sunday night, and then I fast until Monday night and have dinner with them again. So it's 24 hours, but it is, uh, I'm still eating every single day. And then during the day, um, I have something called the one day reset diet. You could take nutrients in, or you could just do herbal tea, water, et cetera. Some people, uh, black coffee or black tea will break their fast and, and other people it won't because it won't spike blood sugar. So you kind of have to know yourself there. I have a podcast on which foods break and beverages break a fast and which foods don't. And uh, there's about two dozen foods that you can look at there. And then every quarter, every 12 weeks, we recommend a longer fast to get in deeper into autophagy and detox. And uh, that's called a functional medicine detox. And that's essentially two days of liquid uh, fasting and then breaking that fast that third day at lunch. And the liquid actually just provides your liver with the nutrients it needs so that you don't become too catabolic and that you don't have those Herxheimer reactions. In the early 1900s and before, they just water fasted people and that was fine, but they did not have 140,000 man-made chemicals in the environment. So the body would never have had the level of uh, Herxheimer reactions we do now. Yeah. I know that when I try to fast or do anything like that, I will get a horrible reaction terrible migraines. So then I have to stop. 100%. Yeah. And sometimes it's from people eliminating uh, their daily coffee. 
uh, or T. And so we tell people, oh, don't do that. Just keep that going, have it black and do that. Now, if it still happens, you're right. You just need then, okay, what do you do if you have these Herxheimer reactions? Well, hopefully you're using these nutrients. The one I formulated is by Equalife. But again, you can always work with your local integrative health practitioner, or naturopathic doctor, and they can help you as well. But sauna, coffee enemas, I know not everybody will do that, but those will help the detox process go uh, faster as well. So if you ever start to experience anything, try to do the things to help those toxins get out that much faster. And of course, if you need to, okay, you might take in a little bit more nutrients if your blood sugar goes low. So say your migraine is triggered by maybe it's a drop in blood sugar. Okay. So at that time, what do I do? Maybe it's just a vegetable juice. Maybe it's just literally a green juice that has just a little bit of carbs and that brings the blood sugar enough to get rid of that headache. And you have to catch in the beginning because if not, it's not going to help. And then you have to actually then do whatever you need to do to get rid of that migraine. I have an interesting case. So whenever I get migraines before my period, I get like digestive migraine. I think it's related to histamines, but when I take beets, it goes away. And I have no idea why. And I looked up online and it says beets can make you nauseous and vomit. And I'm like, well, it stops mine. (laughs) Yes, but it does one other thing, which is very unique to beets, is that it increases nitric oxide production. So your migraines may be from what's called vasoconstriction, which is a inflammation of the arteries and blood leading to the brain versus the opposite, which some people get migraines actually from vasodilation, too much going to the brain. So what a what nitric oxide does from beets, and it's the food with the largest amount of nitric oxide, it will allow for greater blood flow. And so that actually may be one of the reasons why they're helpful for you. But histamines, remember, will do the opposite. So you're right. Like I would go on a lower histamine-based diet. However, keep in mind, if you have histamine issues, which I did, I had mast cell or mastocytosis, so mast cell activation syndrome, it was because I had gut issues. So your intestines actually produce an enzyme to degrade histamines called diamine oxidase. So for you, there might be some hidden candida overgrowth or some imbalanced gut bacteria, which is not allowing you to produce that natural enzyme. And some people produce less of it anyway. So they just need to be careful with more histamine-based foods. So that would be something to potentially look into and uh, it could be really beneficial. Interesting. Okay. And then of course, so, just the other thing I would add is if it only happens before your period, it's definitely related, of course, to estrogen and progesterone. So it's not, usually it's just not one thing. You want to look at the whole picture. Yeah. I'm definitely sure it's related to estrogen and progesterone. You have a unique take on why people get sick and become overweight. Can you explain a little bit about that? I believe that unless you're born with congenital health issues, you're diagnosed with some disease at birth or within your first few years of life, what happens is we, our bodies simply become overwhelmed. So our bodies are dealing constantly with the environment, with everything we're putting in. in, I know growing up for me, I was drinking Kool-Aid. I was drinking like Crystal Light with all these artificial sweeteners and colors and dyes. I was eating Fruity Pebbles, drinking cold milk with a bologna sandwich at lunch. These are horrifying foods for the human body. But yet my body held up. I had some allergies, sure, when I was younger, maybe a little bit of asthma, but, but fine for the most part. And then all of a sudden my body wasn't fine. It completely broke down. What happens is over, your body will deal with it. If you only look at your blood work. So if, this is a good example. If you only look at your blood work with your PCP, everything pretty much always looks fine. And then all of a sudden one day you're diagnosed with the disease and they just say, oh, it's genetic. Your family had it. So you're going to get it. That's not it at all. You're filling up your rain barrel over time. And then 
all of a sudden these diseases manifested because it's like a dam breaking, right? The levee breaks, it breaks, and the water just pours out. It was filling up and overflowing, getting ready to break the entire time. But we don't look at these things. We don't run functional medicine lab tests. We don't think about our symptoms. But if we listen to our body, like if I listen to my body back then, I got a headache every afternoon at school. That was definite food sensitivities, histamine issues, et cetera. I had acne as a teenager, really poor food, imbalanced hormones. I had debilitating seasonal allergies. I couldn't fall asleep at night. These were all symptoms that growing up, it's just like, oh, it's just normal. Everybody has these, right? Because my whole family had them. So that's just normal, but it's not. So if you start to look at the symptoms, then you'll understand that when your rain barrel overflows, that's when genetics matter. So that's when some people gain the weight, get type 2 diabetes, uh, but type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol are easy to see start to trend in that direction. You don't all of a sudden end up with a 5.8 hemoglobin A1C or 126 for fasting glucose. Over the months and years, it trends in that direction. If you start to see it get above 5.5, 5.6, you say, hey, something's wrong, right? Something's wrong with my insulin sensitivity. What's going on here? Let me fix this. So what I say to people is start looking now especially if you have symptoms, even if you don't look and make sure that you start to rebalance the body now, and then you won't deal with whatever's inside of your genetics. So my genetics are autoimmune disease, blood sugar dysregularity, adrenal issues. I don't want any of those things. I don't have any of them now, but they're in my genetics. So what do I need to do? Oh, if I start to feel run down, get more sleep, take a day off from the gym. It's okay. I'm a part of this is a marathon idea. What are some things that we can add to our maybe weekly routine to help detox and feel better? Do you recommend going to the sauna every day, working out, other things like that that we can add to our routine? Yeah. So simple things that everyone should really be doing is getting a water filter for their water that they drink. Choose whatever you want. You can do a home house filter. You could do a Berkey filter that goes in your counter, a pure filter. There's a lot of good ones out there. A I don't like to talk negatively about any companies, but your typical water filter that you'll see at Target or Costco is not going to do the job. So you, you want to get a real water filter. It's very important because you're consuming a lot of water. It goes in your tea, your coffee, even if you're making things like oatmeal rice, use filtered water because we're seeing all the time there's pharmaceuticals in water. There's uh, lead sometimes in water and you don't find out until it's too late in your community. And then, of course, there's mercury, not mercury, sorry, there's aluminum. And then sometimes there's fluoride in most counties. And fluoride, we know, lowers thyroid hormone. So we want to look at these uh, specific things. So water filter, great. Shower filter, bath filter if you're taking a bath. So now your water's clean. That's super important. After that, you're eating good, clean foods that we spoke about. Then if you can, you want to walk 10,000 steps per day. Now, most people, they walk like 3,500 steps per day, but it's not a lot. It just means that you're on your feet for an, uh, 110 minutes a day for most people. So it's a little over an hour and a half on your feet a day. If you're not, think about it. You've got, you're awake for like 16 hours a day. We're only asking for one hour that you're taking like a 20 minute walk here, 20 minute walk here, and, uh, and you'll get there. So the next part is sweating. If you can sweat through sauna, that's ideal because you're in a relaxed state. You're in the parasympathetic nervous system. You can meditate in there if you want to. You can stretch and just sweat in that as many days a week as possible. Really great longevity research on this. So people that are interested in longevity, there was a reduction in all-cause mortality by over 40% by doing a sauna for 19 minutes 
four to five days a week, which is pretty impressive. And there was a decrease in cardiovascular disease, which is the number one killer by over 60%. I believe it was 63%. There is no drug in the world that could do that. So to invest in a sauna is a great thing. And then exercise is really dependent on the individual, but everybody needs to move their body. So like the Vata body type, they're going to burn out faster, but they should still exercise. Whereas the Kapha body type, they want a little bit more rigorous and vigorous exercise to be able to uh, keep the weight off and boost the metabolism. Can you give us a little bit tips about what supplements you think that most people should take or any specific supplements or maybe herbs or teas or things like that for women with hormonal imbalances? Yes. So we, for all humans, again, we always talk about foundational protocols. We have something called the daily foundational protocol. So each day, whether it's a daily activated multivitamin or something we call the daily nutritional support, you need to get all of your B vitamins, your vitamin C, your vitamin K for your bones, your calcium, your magnesium. You need all of those things. And then we add 15 grams of protein to the daily nutritional support and it's plant-based. And the reason is that a lot of people don't eat any protein at breakfast. So if you don't eat any protein at breakfast, then you have to eat more at lunch and more at dinner, which is harder to break down. So we don't like to overwhelm the body at all. So that's what we do. Another great product that we recommend for almost every human, except those on blood thinners, is omega-3s. And you want more EPA than DHA, especially for women. And the reason is that it helps with more PMS-based symptoms and PCOS symptoms. It helps with mood, it helps with inflammation, it helps with the mind, and it helps with hormones. So ideally, you're looking at a two-to-one of EPA to DHA. If you don't know what that means, that's okay. On the back of the label, under omega-3s, there's only, there's three sometimes, ALA, which doesn't get absorbed as well, and there's EPA and DHA. So you can take a daily omega-3, which is great. We typically wreck two grams a day, or you can eat wild salmon, wild trout, mackerel, sardines, or anchovies. Those are really the only five that we've seen that move the needle for your omega-3s to end up with what's called a uh, five to one or better ratio from omega-6s to omega-3s. And again, you can lab test this. This is easy to do right at home. And I recommend that everyone does to see if your current diet is providing what you need. Most people will be shocked that it's not, even if you're eating healthy. So that's a big one. Daily probiotic support is another. The one that we formulated is for sensitive gut. So it's low to no histamines and it's dairy free. So that again, working in practice, we felt that most people needed that. And then that's your basis. You can use what's called a daily fruit vegetable blend to get uh, low carb, no carb, your fruits and vegetables, the nutrients from those. And then it's more specific after that. So some people need an enzyme at meals. Some people need some extra B vitamins. Some people need some magnesium. And then for women with hormonal issues, one of the standards, again, nine out of 10 women, estrogen dominance, so a product called estrogen balance. However, after that, I like to lab test because you might need something called adrenal soothe, which has herbs like ashwagandha, L-theanine, amino acid there, phospholocerine, which helps lower cortisol levels. But you don't need to take it if you don't have high cortisol levels. So we like to just say, we like to customize it for the individual. You might need daily thyroid support because you might be low in iodine or you might be low in selenium or any one of these things. Ashwagandha, believe it or not, is phenomenal for the thyroid. Again, all that to say that daily glucose support, it could be uh, progesterone support. All of these things would be helpful, but they're only helpful to you if your levels are imbalanced. Then of course they provide great benefit.
Tell us a little bit about your book and what else we can find in there about maintaining our health. My book, The Rain Barrel Effect, I wrote that over the course of about five to seven years. I would write it, I would put it down, I'd be my practice, and then I would travel a bit, I would write a bit more. And really what it is myself, and I have an amazing team that I, I work with and oversee all the labs, I've seen over a quarter of a million people over 20 years and saying, these are the top 10 reasons why people fill up their rain barrel and become unwell. And then this is the de-stress formula. So the second half of the book is exactly what I do in my practice. So I teach this to now over 5,000 other practitioners around the world um, called, so at the Integrative Health Practitioner Institute. And it's the diet, exercise, stress reduction, toxin removal, rest, emotional balance, scientifically backed supplements and success mindset. And that last one, very important for getting well as well, is, is taking, so one of the reasons why I wasn't getting is I was attached as a victim to my diseases that I had for so long. So I couldn't let them go because it was part of my identity. People ask me like, hey, how are you feeling? You're doing like, and it's just like, that is part of who I would. I had to create a separation between I am not my disease. I am a healthy, strong, vibrant individual. I currently have this health issue that I am actively working to remove. So that last part is really important because the people who relapse are the ones that are, well, either very stressed, anxious, tra childhood trauma, or they're locked onto that disease. That's why I hate when I'm on Instagram and I see someone that says like, and I apologize for anybody in the audience that has this, that says Crohn's victim or Crohn's sufferer, whatever it is. I get it. You're sick. And I empathize with you. I was there myself, but we need to like, it should say like Crohn's overcomer or something like that. And that you're overcoming it. Like it's not you. So anyway, that last part's very important. And I really give away. So my, the, my company is Equal Life. So I had, I had two private practices. We were doing over 20,000 appointments a year. We could not, we were, we had a wait list for six months. We were not able to help the people that we wanted to. So we, we went virtual in 2018 and that's allowed us to reach more people. And I put all of my protocols and everything online. So it's the company is equi.life and everything's open sourced. So even if you don't want to purchase anything there, we're totally fine with that. You can work with an integrative health practitioner. You can work with a local naturopathic doctor, but we show you exactly what we do for your gut. We show you exactly what we do for mold. We show you all the different labs. We show you the functional medicine detox. We show you the ingredients in it. So I, I hope that it's helpful for people. And, uh, and that's what we're looking to do. Because again, we're one group of people. We can only work with so many people. And there's many other practitioners that can help people as well. How can everybody find you online and tell us about your podcast and where you're active on social media? 100%. So my website is stephencabral.com. And as we were joking around before the show, it's Stephen with a PH. So S-T-E-P-H-E-N. And then it's Cabral, C-A-B-R-A-L. I'm sure that you can add links and all that to it. But after the third year anniversary of my book just happened. And so we're actually giving that book away now on the website. So people can grab a copy of the book there. My podcast is called The Cabral Concept. It's a daily podcast on all things wellness, weight loss, and anti-aging. And then on social media, it's just my name, Stephen Cabral, and you'll be able to find all the different labs and links and all that from my main website. Okay, awesome. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience before? Just the last thing I like to end with is that everybody thinks that their health issue is completely unique and that they're not going to get well because of their genetics or whatever it might be. I felt the same way 
for a long time. And I was actually told that for many years. I am well, I have, my genetics are terrible, to be honest with you. I'm prone to all sorts of issues. So I just have to keep my body in balance now, which is not difficult once you get there. But I just want to share with people that whatever you're dealing with, yes, you are unique in your own way, your own bioindividuality. However, there is hope. You can get, most people get well within three to six months. The worst of the worst never take longer than eight to 12 months. So without a, without a doubt, within the next four to six months, most likely you'll be better and you'll be back to living the life that you want. So that's really just what I share, try to share with people so they understand that they're not alone. Other people are suffering like they are and uh, there are ways to get out of this mess that they're in right now, which is the best way to put it because you can't seem to find your way out. You've tried everything before, but truly there is an answer. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm going to put all those links in the show notes so everyone can check everything out. Appreciate that. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. Please show your support for the podcast by leaving a five-star review. Learn more about the show and what I have to offer you at katkatibi.com. Consider being a part of the new Patreon, where episodes are ad-free and you'll find extra bonus content. Send a voicemail question or email me. Check the show notes for more information. I had an episode a while back with Dr. Mona Fahum of Feminescence, and we spoke about Feminescence, Maca Harmony, and their Maca products. And if you're a woman who's ever had hormonal imbalances, if you're trying to come off the birth control pill, or even if you're going through menopause, this is a natural way to help ease that transition and to help balance your hormones. There's nothing quite like it, so go to feminescence.com, enter code CAT15, K-A-T-1-5, for 15% off any of their single pack products, and definitely go check out the episode. Just search for Mona Fahum on my podcast and listen. You won't regret it. This podcast is for informational, merrymakings, and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including TV, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard. Opinions of guests are totally their own. This podcast does not endorse statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications, credibilities, or sanity. Individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, consult with a licensed medical physician, not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca.